0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Because most Roman Catholic priests and deacons cannot preach. They cannot hold your attention. Mm. People, they're boring.
1: In his new book, Deep Down in My Soul, Father Maurice Nutt, a doctor of preaching from the Aquinas Institute of Theology, draws on generations of African-American oratorical and homiletic tradition, and he diagnoses our problem. But he also prescribes a cure.
0: It has to touch, be more relevant, deal with the, the the biblical context. It has to be inspiring. It has to lead us not only to celebrate faith, but to share and witness our faith.
1: On almost good Catholics. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Soudiniets, and I get to ask interesting people who've thought about the big questions to share their conclusions, to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this dialogue may help us approach the truth and have a really great time doing it. If you'd like to join the conversation, please email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. I answer every single email. Our guest today for the second time is Father Maurice Nutt. He's a redemptorist priest and has a Doctor of Ministry degree in Preaching from Aquinas Institute of Theology in St. Louis and two Master's degrees, Theology from Xavier University in New Orleans and Divinity from the Catholic Theological Union in Chicago. Father Maurice teaches courses in the Black Religious Experience, Christian Theology, Pentecostalism, and Preaching and Evangelization. He's also been Director of the Institute for Black Catholic Studies at Xavier and convener of the Black Catholic Theological Symposium, an association of Black Catholic scholars from the United States, Africa, and the Caribbean. He's published four books. One of them about his friend and mentor and candidate for sainthood is called Thea Bowman, Faithful and Free. We talked about that book last year in June on episode 21, which I called We Shall Overcome, after a famous talk that sister and perhaps soon-to-be saint Thea gave to the USCCB, the US Conference for Catholic Bishops, in 1980. His new book, is Down Deep in My Soul, an African-American Catholic Theology of Preaching. That's the book we're talking about today. Welcome, Father Maurice.
0: Thank you so much, Chris. It's so good to be back on uh, your show. This has been an interesting show. I love what you're trying to do and how you unpack ideas with various people in the pew, as well as theologians. So it's an honor to be back.
1: Well, the, the honor is mine, and I'm having a really good time doing it. Um, I have a joke for you today. Uh, oh, a,
0: a guy is it walked, an almost good Catholic joke? It's an almost good
1: Catholic joke, and it has to do with the theology of preaching, uh, though probably not the kind that you're advocating. The priest, the father, is outside greeting his uh, congregation as they leave after Mass, and one gentleman walks up to him and says, you know, Father, today your sermon reminded me of the peace and mercy of God. And the pastor was thrilled. No one has ever said anything like that to me about my preaching before. Tell me Why? Well, said the parishioner, well, it reminded me of the peace of God, because it passed all understanding, and it reminded me of God's mercy, because it endured forever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that is a good one, Chris. That gets yeah. two thumbs up for that. Yeah,
1: I don't think that would happen in a church following uh, your advice on how to reach reach the people.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure.
1: Yeah. So what is Black Catholic preaching, and why is it important?
0: Well, when we say Black Catholic preaching, I, I want to give all reference and reverence to the uh, Black church experience. The Black preaching style comes from the Black church experience, religious experience. It has been most appropriated in the Black church experience. What I'm saying is that as Black people who are Roman Catholic and practicing their faith uh, they're in Catholicism, that there is an appropriation, if you will, for Black people as well as non-Black people to use that style for Catholic worship and that it has an appropriate spot for that. So to get into Black Catholic preaching um, is a misnomer. So I I don't like to speak of it as Black Catholic preaching. It's Black preaching uh, within the Roman Catholic context.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And thank you. And I accept the correction. Um, So I was... What I was impressed by your discussion of the roots of the style and and the discussion of essential traits of African ancestorship, which you start with in the introduction, which included the privileged place of closeness to God, that ancestors, um, and how those those who live the exemplary life in community uh, could intercede later on on the behalf of the li- on behalf of the living, which sounded pretty Catholic to me, even though it's in sort of a pre-Christian African mode, uh, as in our communion of saints. Uh, so would you please tell us about the the African roots of, of this style and what aspects of the African culture were transmitted even through the 400-year horror of slavery and subsequent persecution? Um, what aspects were lost? What aspects were retained? How do you trace this through the mist of time?
0: You know, Chris, there are various characteristics to describe the roots of Black preaching. Um, yes, we trace it back to our uh, sacred paths in Africa, where African people, and I would dare say Black people in America, we're oral people. We come from a long oral tradition. In African times, there was nothing written down, but there was the uh, Girat who would know the story of the people, and they would convey that, and it would go down from one generation to another For your listeners, you may recall of those who are old enough to remember in 1977 when Alex Haley's uh, biography, his his history of his uh, genealogy, came out titled Roots, uh, when it was televised, the wonderful thing about that was that he was able to trace back to the Gambia where his roots were because of the oral tradition it had been handed down even to those who were brought in the brutality of being enslaved in America, they remembered the story. Um, and also with Black preaching, we, we um, relate to the preacher being able to tell the story, the tradition of the gospel or the biblical story of the of the Hebrew Bible. Can you tell the story? Can you relay it to a point where we can resonate with the with story and that we can connect it to our own Christian story in contemporary times? So throughout the uh, tradition of African spirituality, not only is it an oral tradition, but it's also a communal tradition where the community hold, they're the keepers of the story and everyone to be truly a participant in your own community, or in that case in, in Africa, your tribe, was to know the story, to be able in a communal way. The the over 400 years of inhumane slavery and brutality that, that uh, was put upon African people being brought to these shores, so much of what, and I argue this in my book about were they able to have social cohesion? Were they able to retain much of what happened in Africa? My concern was in the arguments that would go back and forth was that it's a both end. Not everything was retained, but there were certain things of of vesture and dance and song and idiom that, that, that carried and never forgot, you know, people uh, will see Africans speak today or African-Americans and, they don't pronounce in the word the or they. They say da and uh, they. It, it's it's a way of which they retain. That's how they speak in Africa. So when we hear it in America, I often smile because you know they're saying, "Well, oh, can't they pronounce it in the King's English?" Uh, no, that they're, they're they're coming things with resonated throughout their family history that perhaps uh, was brought to them. Um, one of the things you asked me about was the ancestral nature of, of worship and our spirituality. And you speak of it as it predates Roman Catholicism. Uh, I wonder where the Roman Catholic Church got the whole veneration of the saints or the or the uh, calling of the saints, you know, the litany of saints. It was taken from the, uh, the European ticket from an African tradition. And we also know that the Church of Ethiopia predated the Church of Rome, so uh, by hundreds of years, you know, so that there was so much when Catholicism was being organized or structured in the Roman Catholic Church was taken back through a tradition from the African people. So that sense of ancestral worship, it comes from the cosmogram that, that we West Africans know, that it goes through the circle of life. It goes through you are born You live, you die, and then you become an ancestor. Roman Catholicism, you are born, you live your life trying to live according to the way of Jesus Christ. You die, and when you die, it's not the end. You have the promise of eternal life and that we believe that you're with God. So that whole notion is certainly not foreign to African people, um, that our ancestors never died that they live with us and, and, and in certain African tribes, they're so present that if you do something wrong or you say something wrong, there's fear that somehow you're gonna be reprimanded from a heavenly space by that ancestors Oh, you're offending the ancestor. The whole sense of, if you go to any, Chris, you go to any today, African-American household, I dare, I can bet you, you will see pictures of their ancestors. Now, I know this is on podcast, but we're doing this on Zoom. Look right over my head. Mm-hmm. That's my mom and my daddy. Mm-hmm. They're with me. I have to have my parents looking over with me. They're they're in their place in heaven, but they're still present. You see Thea Bowman there. She's mm-hmm. looking over my spiritual mother. I feel at home when I have the people who are close to me, who are now with God, that gives me reassurance. And, and I, I do speak to them. I, mm-hmm. I speak to them. I, I seek their counsel and their wisdom. And I ask that from where they are with God, would they pray for me? So that whole sense of ancestral worship is, is quite common, even today. Um, and also just the whole sense that in when it comes to preaching, uh, it's two people I call on. Of course, you call on the Holy Spirit when you're mm-hmm. about to preach, but I always call on my first preaching teacher. My first preaching teacher and your first preaching teacher is always your mother. Mm-hmm. People say women can't preach, and I know we're going to get to that later, but women preach because the first sermons we hear as a good Catholic are almost good Catholic is from your mother. And so my, I I asked my mother to be with me. And then I asked the Sophia Bowman to be with me. So that's a sense of what their place they take in my in my my call to preach. They're with me in every step of the way.
1: Well that's that's very beautiful and also very helpful. And I I totally agree with you that we, you know, Westerners have become quite linear where we think that the past is behind us and we're marching forward on the number line. Uh, in one direction, whereas people, you know, ancient traditional people, certainly people with an oral history, and certainly people in biblical times always thought of time as more layer upon layer upon layer. And if, you, if you're if you walking with Jesus, you're walking in the footsteps of, you know, Moses and of Abraham, and they all walk the same um, countryside. And even Jesus says, you know, this is Moses and Abraham. were the God of the living, not the God of the dead. They are with us at all times.
0: And uh, in, Africa, yeah. Yeah, in African culture you're not really known for yourself. You're known from, you are the son of. Mm -hmm. You represent generations. And so uh, quite often I think that anything I've done, any success that I've made, if you have my book, you see I give homage to the ancestors who have passed on in my acknowledgments, Because when I stand at that pulpit, there's a whole lot of people standing there with me because I come from everything that they were, all that they brought, all that they knew that was instilled in me, uh, I represent them. So there's a lot of people, you only see one person standing there, but you see everybody who's ever influenced me in my faith.
1: Yeah, and um, one, one thing, you know, talking talking about um, African American history and talking about the history of slavery is always political, but one thing I always try to tell my students when I teach world history or I teach uh, ethnic studies, is that our variety of American slavery was a lot was was more horrible than other kinds because one it was hereditary and two it was racialized so there was no natural point of reentry if I'm a one kind of Greek captured by another ancient kind of Greek you know my children wouldn't be slaves after me or at least my grandchildren and so on and likewise if you're you know captured in China or by the Vikings or any anything like that so um, it's a very interesting status and you also refer to it as a double minority one is a racial minority of um, Black people in the in the Catholic Church, and two, is a religious minority as, as Catholics in the tradition of Black Christianity, which is largely Protestant in America, which of course was a British colony. I'm sure that's not true in Spanish America, but I think in the, you know, what became these United States, that's true. Um, is, is this different from being another kind of uh, Catholic, for example, a Vietnamese or Hawaiian or Polish Catholic? Uh, if so, how?
0: I don't think it's the same uh, because the double invisibility that i i speak of is that we're we're actually invisible as black catholics in the black world because it's an oddity it's it's anomaly to be a uh a, a catholic they're saying Black people aren't Catholic. What what do you what, what do you mean by being Catholic? And in the in the white church, when we, we hold on and embrace our Catholicism, uh, we're stared upon like, you know, we don't see that many black Catholics. Well, in the whole universal world, there are actually more African Catholics than there are European Catholics. The spread of Catholicism has gone throughout Africa. So we ask the question, really, who's the minority? Mm-hmm. But but that's a lived reality, Chris. I often use the uh, experience of my being an homiletician, uh, expert in preaching. Uh, I went to the uh, Academy of Homiletics where all the stellar teachers of preaching are. And to me, it's, it's, it's preaching Hollywood because you have a lot of the big names who write books and they preach well. Um, And so by being a member of the overall Academy, we have subgroups. And so I'm also a member of the Catholic Association of Teachers of Homiletics, CAP, but I'm the only black man sitting in that group, the only black Mm. individual at all. And then when I go to the African-American caucus of the Academy of Homiletics, I'm the only Catholic sitting there. Mm -hmm. Um, And the, Black Academy actually the black caucus they were one a guy was very bold to tell me what are you doing here <laughs> other than that I wasn't black it was the fact that why are you in our caucus everyone knows that Catholics don't really preach they they give they give these little lessons or they give little snippets of something you know Catholics don't break open that word and feed you a full deal meal you know mm-hmm. so I had that challenge Chris but uh, of late, uh, there has been a great uh, sense of respect. In fact, uh, a few, one one in particular, uh, Professor Dr. Kenyatta Gilbert, the professor of homiletics at, at Howard University School of Divinity, he actually reviewed my book. And he was going around, hey, so-and-so and so-and-so has, and a lot of these other big name people, you have got to read Maurice Nett's book. It is a classic, you know, so to hear that, Gives me some sense of belonging. So we've, I think, by me doing the academic work and the actual preaching, uh, I have dispelled some of that, at least within the um, within the black uh, caucus of homiletics.
1: Well, and I think that's a very important point that we should take on because uh, your the foreword of your book was written by Diana Hayes, an eminent Protestant scholar. And oh, the Catholic scholar. Oh, sorry, I yeah. did not realize. Okay, so I read this assuming she was a Protestant scholar. My mistake. Okay, so she's a, a Catholic oh, scholar. She, she's a
0: lay woman. Uh huh. Has a JD. She's a she is a attorney by trade and by practice. Training and by practice, she got her PhD in theology. Then she went on to get from the uh, University of Louvain her STD, her Sacred Theology degree. So she is triple doctor, and yes. quite a scholar. She's the uh, Professor Emerita at Georgetown University. I chose her because of the role of women, as you can see mm-hmm. in my book. I wanted, a, I wanted a lay black Catholic woman to write my foreword. Not a priest, not a nun, but someone, who, and who also preaches. She yes, as well as teach.
1: Well, what I noticed was that she added an exclamation point to the sentence that underscored that she thought that fifteen minutes of a homily was woefully inadequate. And I know from the Vatican's Voice of the Pope podcast. I don't know if you. Yes, it's, I it's, know it. You, you know this one, yeah. Yes, um, I know
0: what he said. So I exactly, was and so he.
1: I've listened to it for at least a few years and once i remember pope francis saying to keep your homilies under 10 and once i heard him say between eight and 10 and so i get the feeling that this is a new recipe that you are suggesting uh and i think you should defend it a little bit um yeah why do you you respectfully disagree with the holy father
0: well well you know and i want all your listeners to know i love pope francis Mm -hmm. he takes up a great i even have uh, section in my book about Francis as the preaching pope. So, yes, you know, you do. I, I love the pope very much. I would have to say this: I agree with him saying that because most Roman Catholic priests and deacons cannot preach; they cannot hold your attention. Mm. People they they're boring, and so they're <laughs> going to put people to sleep within five or ten minutes. So, there is some hope that they can say what they have to say and not do much damage to people's faith or their attention. So it's, it's important that he says that. But the other challenge, as he writes in The Joy of the Gospel as cyclical, is that he challenges preaching, that it has to touch, be more relevant, deal with the, the, the biblical context. It has to be inspiring. It has to lead us not only to celebrate faith, but to share and witness our faith. So unless you are preaching that's going to stir people up, that's going to get them to a point of, of, of wanting to witness to God. Yeah, keep it between five and eight minutes. But the purpose I see in Black Catholic liturgical settings, and this isn't a question, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Four quick points, Chris. Yes. I believe that the, hom- the purpose of the homily in a Black Catholic worship experience, and I dare say in any Catholic worship experience, is one for information. Does that mean preaching your exegesis? No, but is there tidbits? I often say it's for information. Tell me something that I don't know. Tell me something that isn't so evident or clear that I can glean or garner something that will help me say, wow, I never thought of it that way. So for information, for inspiration, say something that's gonna inspire me to make me have hope, to make me feel faith-filled, to to make me even want to witness that I'm so inspired by this homily. One, I'm never going to forget it. And I'm going to witness, because I'm going to tell other people about what Father or what Deacon preached about today at Mass. So inspiration. So we have information, inspiration. Next is motivation. I I love to say, when I think of motivation, after hearing a homily, my go-to is, so what? Mm hmm. So what? You just spent 10 minutes here. So what? Yeah. What am I motivated to do? What am I motivated to think, feel? What behavior changes do I have to make? What am I en- en- enlightened to do or or hopefully change in my attitudes and my behavior? And, and that I will even how I, I think my mind. So that's that's what motivation does. The last is kind of unique. It's celebration. Mm. Um, most people would say, oh, if you say that in Roman Catholic, celebration means, of course, celebration of the Eucharist. Uh, yes, but guess what? It's celebration of the Word of God. Mm-hmm. At what point in your preaching can you delineate that you are? Experiencing the joy of the gospel—that you are experiencing good news. What's the good news in your in your uh, homily? And, and if it's good news, you celebrate good news. Uh, in black preaching, celebration comes off as it's a more robust and full uh, excitement, climactic piece, and you enrich your cadence go up, and you mm-hmm. are visibly and, and, and orally you are excited. But it also is, in the text itself, you're celebrating that. And what's the crossover from Protestant to Catholics? It's a great segue and a lead. The celebration of the word, the very last thing you're saying, will lead to the celebration of the Holy Eucharist. So those are my four points. Don't forget, let me just repeat them again. Yes, absolutely. Information, inspiration, motivation, and celebration. All right, inspiration, information, inspiration,
1: motivation, celebration, and yeah. there are special um, techniques. Now, maybe this, this you told us why and what the purpose is. Now, what are the means and methods? Right. Uh, when I when I think of uh, African American. Preaching, I think of call and response. I think of rhythm and cadence. I think of repetition, uh, rhyme, and musicality to it. You know, every 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 school child in America at some point has listened to the "I Have a Dream" speech. So I think like everyone can hear that resonance, that repetition, that referral to to common threads that people can um pull up. Uh, is that for everybody? Should a white or Asian or Latino priest be advised to use the same techniques, or would that fall flat as uh, appropriation of some kind?
0: Well, you you've outlined because you you're a good reader, Chris. You read my books, so you know all <laughs> the different tenets yeah. of preaching. Yes, all of those are great tenets of the black preaching style. And how might white, Latino, or Asian priests learn priests learn from the black tradition? You know, it's funny that we have to ask that question. Yeah. They didn't ask me as a black man what I feel about learning European style preaching. Yeah.
1: Amen. Is that fair enough? And, and I couldn't agree with you more. Right.
0: They never asked me, yeah. you know, how do you feel about learning this style? That yeah. all of the styles are connected to our culture. Mm-hmm. No matter who you are, is connected to your culture. So, but I find, you know, the reason why I think it's so appropriate and it's not parroting or it's not stepping into cultural um, misappropriation. Yeah. Let me say this: It is. It came to me in 1982 when "Fulfilled in Your Hearing" was uh, issued by the USCCB, the bishops' document from its faith formation, priestly formation, rather. Um, Department, it, it said that we want to talk about what the homily is in the Sunday assembly, and it has all of the tenets of that. that it talks about uh, the homily as a, as a whole. It talks about the preacher to congregation. It breaks everything. It's a great analysis of the homily in the Catholic assembly. However, in that liturgical assembly. When I read those directives and what should be in recommendations, I find them all being fulfilled, talking about being fulfilled in your hearing, they're fulfilled in Black preaching. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, I think that would even have been a good title of my book, Fulfilled in Black Preaching, because I think that all of the elements they're asking for, they don't have to look anywhere else. But I think we tend to be as Catholics, like the Protestants have nothing they can offer us. You know, we can't learn anything from them. So even though it's a Black preaching style that is more at home in the Black Protestant church, I think as anyone wanting to to speak well, to connect with the people of God, with the Word of God, they can look to Black preaching for help in doing that. Mm -hmm. And when I talk about it doesn't do a disservice to one's culture, is that there are elements that you can, first of all, preaching means owning your own voice, finding your voice and owning your voice let it be you, but use different techniques or tenants of the black preaching. You may not use them all, but you can use a few. Uh, I've seen uh, my white redemptress confreres, they will watch me and then, you know, I will catch them. If I'm at a master they're preaching, they're using some of my style uh, and people like it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I preach, believe it or not, Chris, uh, um, I'm stationed in a parish that is all white, where the Redemptors are serving, mostly white, should I say, and the parish council had heard me once, members of the church heard me once preach at a, uh, a Marian novena, and they they petitioned and wrote to the pastor demanding that I preach once a month to them. Mm-hmm. I'm not a part of the parish staff, but it's saying white people are saying to me, we want what you got. Yeah. We have something that touches our soul you know one even said the president of the parish council said yeah and i I didn't really care for this because she was kind of dismissing the richness and the giftedness of of blackness she says oh you don't have to call it black preaching it's it's good preaching Mm -hmm. i said it's good preaching because it's black preaching (laughs) you know yeah that's what makes it good
1: I, I knew the answer to my own question because in your book I also read where you give examples of Fulton Sheen or Pope right. Francis. You mm-hmm. know the, the Holy Father preaches with great with 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 all of these things with musicality, right. with uh, cadence. But he has his own way, and his his voice is very gentle. And it's... Fulton Sheen's voice is his own voice. It's it's a different. It's it's much more direct than the popes and and so on. And um, you have a lot of. Uh, Techniques. One thing you advise is watch yourself, videotape yourself, see how you like the way you sound. That's something, you know, school teachers do in our training. Uh, go, go see how you look at the front of that room and, and what you sound like.
0: It's a lot of people, you know, first of all, just in American culture alone, self-awareness is lacking. Mm-hmm. I would say more so self-awareness in the pulpit is lacking. Look at your body stance. How are are you standing like you're comfortable or making contact, uh, eye contact? Uh, What what about your gestures? Are you, uh, I was just giving, I was in Austin, Texas for the Diocese of Austin, giving their deacons a preaching workshop uh, this past weekend. And one guy says, father, look at my knuckles. I hold (laughs) onto that pulpit so tight. They're becoming white, you know, (laughs) And, and because he's fearful, you know, so, but he's aware of that. You're know, mm-hmm. to be able to let go of that and use those hands to, to draw people in through the preaching. So, so, yeah, I believe that in videotaping yourself, it's a good way of looking at yourself. People say, oh, I hate looking at myself. Well, I said, well, you shouldn't be a preacher because we got to look at you for 10 minutes or so up there. So you need to look at yourself and get a sense of how well you look, how comfortable you look. And if there are some things that need to be changed, change them.
1: Yeah. One thing I love um that you advise is telling the story. And you mentioned this earlier. To tell the story, it sounds like it sounds like a small thing, but it's such a big thing. And I for one have a lot more I find it much easier to read the gospel than to read the epistles of Paul because Paul is going to expound and explain and, and and enumerate things for you, but Jesus is going to tell you a story. And how much better it is to hear! I want to tell you three things about humility rather than "Once there lived a man with two sons," and then we we just get much more interested in the parable. How do you how do you how do you to choose the stories, develop the stories, all that?
0: Yeah, so that it, it, preaching in its essence is narrative preaching. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in narrative preaching especially with the gospels uh it it brings those different pericopes bring up our encounters with jesus and the wonderful thing about jesus is that every narrative in in the the gospel that speaks about an encounter with jesus means you never ever leave the same you know even the rich young lawyer who was told because he had many things and he says what must i do to to be in the kingdom of God, he says, "Well, you have to sell everything, give it to the poor, and then follow me." And they say he went away sad. That's mm-hmm. still good news because he got insight. He was yeah. told what he had to do. We don't know what he did, but he was taught something that hopefully changed his life. You know, so so there there are moments when he, I always use this little phrase. I said that when you meet Jesus, you find out that your condition is not your conclusion. Mm-hmm. So all the ways you come to Jesus as you are, you're not going to leave the same. That's not your conclusion. Yeah,
1: oh, that's a that's a beautiful point. Mm-hmm. Um, you have two technical terms, and could you explain them the difference between enculturated evangelization versus cultural adaptation?
0: Okay, let's use cultural adaptation first. Cultural adaptation is when we take the Roman Catholic liturgy and we look at ways in which we mm. can adapt culture. So when you talk about cultural adaptation, uh, people like to say, oh, you know, you shouldn't sing that those Protestant songs, you know, especially in the name, the spirituals. Well, I have you know that the spirituals are not Protestant in nature. There are the lament of black people who were enslaved and suffered. And yes, there were Catholic slaves. I'm seventh generation. My Catholicism comes through the slavery. That although they were my ancestors were oppressed, although they were freed, they remained. They they took off the shackles, but they kept the faith. So so those spirituals are my songs too. A uh, vesture, you know, that you come as you are. It, it's when we talk about the vernacular of the uh, Vatican II and the uh, Roman Catholic Rite in English or your native tongue, vernacular means more than just speaking English. It means my my vesture, my kente cloth, my, my uh, way of movement. So yes, you can be like a statue standing there, but black people, God is alive in us. We say he's all over us and he's keeping us alive. So it's hard to keep still when we're talking about Jesus or feeling God's grace and spirit upon us that's cultural adaptation enculturated evangelization is that in order for the good news to be experienced as good news it must be experienced within the means of one's culture that i can receive the kerygma the gospel the good news within my culture and and in turn i use that to evangelize others that you are welcome in this Catholic faith. You are welcome in this church. And we do so by using our enculturated evangelization. We 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 take we take evangelization for all that it is and we make it a way in which it can be received by others of, of that culture. So so that's the distinction between those two.
1: Yeah, I have a lovely story uh from my my wife, she had a friend who tried to go, I think he was a Protestant fellow, but he went to India to preach the gospel and he had this little home church that he started and he had his friends in India. And one day one of the new Christians brought his mom to church and and they were playing normal Indian music for like the kind of music Indian people like. Not not like some, you know, Protestants with a guitar or something. Right. It's just like, oh, I didn't know this was what it's like. Of course, you can be a Christian. I thought you were going to play the other kind of music, as if as if the kind of music, you know, makes something unacceptable because of our own cultural preferences and our feelings that we're going to, you know, we're selling out to something alien, uh, perhaps connected to the ancestors we've been talking about. That I can I do this and honor my ancestors.
0: I know that uh, one of our minister of music uh, in my former church in St. Louis, St. Alfonso's Rock the Glory Church, where I was. Pastor of there we had we have two music ministers one who happens to be Catholic grew up in the Catholic church cradle Catholic and one who's Protestant but they both have learned the liturgy so well that they've written both written mass settings you know even the Baptist guy Uh, and I love how talk about uh, enculturation cultural adaptation to hear him sing from the Saint Louis Jesuits here I am Lord. Just he mm. slows it down. He rearranged it. And it's so soulful that you would never know that a group of white Jesuit priests wrote that song after you hear <laughs> it. So, so it's taking on something and saying, okay, we like what you did with that, but we're going to do it. We're going to add it our way. We're going to put a little of our flavor on it.
1: Yeah, now that, that's beautiful. And I'm sure it's different for everybody in every place. But if right. we're careful and we're paying attention and we make things, yeah. Yeah. Okay, the last big question, and I know you have, you've got, you're gonna, t- you're gonna tell a story. Who should preach is my question. Uh, you have a quotation from from your mentor, Sister Thea Bowman, on page one twenty three. Oh no, she says, I don't preach. I witness. I testify. I share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, women don't preach in the Catholic Church. And then you continue to say she didn't preach in the church, but but she could preach on the bus or on the train or in the classroom or in the schoolyard. Who okay. should preach?
0: How should it look? So. Bea Bowman, that quote was taken from her interview with Mike Wallace on 60 Minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she felt that Mike Wallace was trying to set her up to say, to say that she preached. And so mm-hmm. she was very cognizant of that. So, you know women don't preach in the church. <laughs> says, we witness. This is what I do. I witness to the Lord. But witnessing is the vocation of every baptized Christian, to witness to Christ. And so who should preach? Uh, I have to say, and it's it's certainly divulged in my book, um, that my preaching practicums throughout my divinity and my theology degree, I never had a Catholic priest teach me how to preach in my preaching practicum. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, had three sisters, three religious women. Um Sister Kathleen Cannon, who's now at the University of Notre Dame, believe she's about to retire, she taught me at Catholic Theological Union how to preach. Sister Thea Bowman taught me at Xavier University how to preach. When I got my doctorate from Quinas Institute, it was uh, Sister Joan Delaplane, another Dominican-like sister, Kathleen Cannon, taught me how to preach. And I state to you, Chris, in, and I state to in my book, Why would a woman, well-educated Ph.D. women want to give their lives teaching young men in the Catholic Church to preach? Why would they teach them to do something they themselves can't officially do? Hmm. And I say rather than tell them they can't, look at the other side of that scenario. These women love the church so much They want to train men to be the best that they can. If you're the ones that the church at this moment is saying can officially preach, we want you to preach the best way you can. And I believe they poured into me love, grace, mercy, and a love for the word of God and a love for preaching that I carry on. So I represent them. Uh, so, So I'm so grateful for that. But only Catholic bishops, priests, and deacons can preach officially at the liturgy. Uh, later on in those canons, it speaks of there are different situations for the good of the faith that lay people can preach. I find that we don't always utilize those. Um, And also I write in my book, it was actually uh, now Cardinal Wilton Gregory when he was uh, president of the U.S. Bishop's Conference. He's the one who... um, wrote about the norms of of lay preaching in the Catholic Church in America. So it's kind of wonderful that a guy who's a scholar who also is a liturgist and Black man would be the one who says these are uh, the different uh, ways in which the norms in which uh, lay people can preach in the Catholic Church. I think there's different ways. I think a Mother's Day, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. nothing about being a mother or a father. <laughs> Father's Day, when we celebrate the elders, I'm getting old, but I'm not that old. When you have <laughs> Youth Sunday, maybe someone, a you, young adult, can get up and witness to being a, a young person. When we talk about the Holy Family, that is done in the in the during the uh, time of of the Christmas octave that we celebrate Kwanzaa, which is lifting up the family. Why not have a family come up and witness on Holy Feast of the Holy Family Sunday? You know, think of those opportunities. When when is Catechetical Sunday in September, why not have a catechist reflect upon his or her ministry and, and sharing the faith and teaching the faith? So you have to be creative. You also have to have well-prepared people. I don't, the worst thing you can do for the promotion of lay pre- preaching is to get a lay person who's, who cannot preach or, mm-hmm. or do not feel comfortable or not qualified. Uh, the other fear I reason why I believe that a lot of pastors don't let lay people preach is we've got a whole lot of lay people, a whole lot of sisters who can preach better than these priests and deacons. Mm-hmm. And and it's just downright jealousy and Envy by some of them.
1: I think you have answered all the questions I have. Are there something that I forgot to ask, or that you wish we should talk about before we part company?
0: Yes, you should tell your listeners how to get my book. Yes, yes. You, it's the book title is Down Deep in My Soul. It's an African American Catholic theology of preaching by Maurice J. Nutt. I'm a Redemptress CSSR. You can get it on Amazon, or you can go to my publisher, who is. Arbus Books. They would gladly love for you to have it, but more so, I would love you to get the book, read it yourself, and perhaps either for Christmas or his birthday, buy your pastors and deacons a copy of my book. While it's seemingly about Black preaching, I think all Catholic Christians, especially Americans, will find that they can learn something from this book.
1: Yeah. And uh, I think anybody who speaks in front of an audience, including teachers and professors and people like that, have a lot to have a lot to benefit from it. It is it is not uh, a burden to read. It is one hundred and eighty six pages. It is written in a lovely style with lots of good stories, because, Father, you know how to tell the story. And uh, it's rich in history and a joy, a joy to read. Uh, What's your next book, may I ask?
0: That's right. I was waiting Mm -hmm. for you to say that. Um, the next book will be out in September. And I have edited a book with my two colleagues at Aquinas Institute of Theology. Uh, they're professors there. And it's it's an a anthology of about 15 essays. And the title of that book is Preaching Racial Justice. Mm. So it deals explicitly with racism. And uh, not only do I write the book, uh, edit, but write my chapter. But my chapter is largely, I put a homily in there that I was asked to preach uh, about against racism. So it's it's an actual practical reading of a homily of mine. So
1: That yeah. sounds super exciting and also extremely relevant to the political moment we are all inhabiting together. So I hope well, I'm to, invited
0: uh, back to talk about yeah,
1: that. Absolutely. All right, perfect. So Thank you so much, Father Maurice. Would you say a blessing for our listeners and their families and our world?
0: I'll say a blessing, but this is also for preachers. I want to pray okay. for them in a way. Yeah. Lord God, we ask that you bless, support, comfort, strength, and give holiness to all those who are called to preach the Holy Word of God, that they might be a pure channel of your grace, might be able to do something for you in that preaching moment, Give them refreshment among the people. Help them not to treat excellent manner, the word of God in a defective way, but to uplift it, to give hope, to give joy, love, and to do it with warmth and fervency. I ask Almighty God that for our part, we will pray for our preachers so they can better serve us in the proclamation of the gospel. And may Almighty God now bless you, my listeners and my friends, I pray that God will be a source of hope, comfort, peace, and love for you this day, as you are indeed blessed in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Amen. as we sing to the Black Catholic Church, let the church say, Amen. <laughs> All right, thank you.
1: Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. Be born
0: for me, for you, and hail. The
1: babe the son of Mary Christodinitz and Father Maurice Nutt recorded this conversation episode 57 on Wednesday May 10th 2023 that was the feast day of Saint Antoninus a 15th century Dominican friar who became Archbishop of Florence in 1446 he is an important theologian at the Council of Florence which helped form the church's teachings on the Eucharist and on purgatory, and the use of the term filioque and of the Son in the Nicene Creed, which clarified the doctrine that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The music for our program comes from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster Band. Check them out at www.gscoasterband.com. Our logo, the image of the dog, comes from a window in a Spanish monastery at Santo Domingo de Silos, which the Dominican friars of England, Scotland, and Wales kindly let me take from their website, www.english.op.org. I'm Chris Odenius. Thank you so much for listening. Email me at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. I answer every email, and I look forward to talking to you next time on Almost Good Catholics. This, this is Christ the King Whom shepherds, God, and angels sing